Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bible, this evening, the, uh, the conference was really good. Both uh, main speakers, Pastor Rich Cox and Pastor Scott Lamb, preached some wonderful sermons. And one of the, Pastor Lamb's sermons inspired this one. It's not Pastor Lamb's sermon, but it inspired this sermon. Uh, and I want to look with you at a parable that Jesus told about the nobleman, or in some translations, the king's servants. One man said these words, In a free society, every opportunity comes with three obligations. First, you must seize it. You must mold into the, uh, a work that brings value to yourself and others. Second, you must live it. Opportunity nurtured is only by action. And third, you must defend it. Freedom to possess, to pursue opportunities. If you'll embrace these three obligations as if your future defended on it, in fact, it does. In opportunities, every Every blessing, every opportunity, every new stage of life comes with responsibilities. Comes with what has to be done. As I lived in Lithuania, Lithuania had only gotten their freedom 10 years before we had moved there. Before this, they had been under Soviet occupation. They had basically had Soviet mentality, which was uh, do as little as possible and get, you know, don't stir any waves. Don't be better than anyone. Don't be worse than anyone. You want to be as average as average could be. And then they got their freedom. And how people began to either embrace the responsibilities of it, or they began to be lost in the system. When we serve God, we have a responsibility before Him. Yes, salvation is free. You can make heaven your home by doing as little as possible. Jesus paid the price. But this does not make God pleased. And in our text, we're going to see he expects you and I to embrace the responsibilities of the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, says the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. Now, To understand what he's talking about there is they're absolutely convinced that if he goes to Jerusalem, they're going to make him king, he's going to kick out the Romans, and and everything's going to start. And he wants to bring a correction to that. So he tells this story. A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants, and he divided among them ten pounds of silver 
saying, invest this for me while I am gone. But the people, but his people hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want you to be our king. So after he was crowned, he returned and he called the servants whom he had given the money. And he wanted to find out what profit, uh, what their profit uh, were. The first servant reported, Master, I've invested your money, and I've made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king explained. You are a good servant. You've been faithful with a little, which I entrusted you. So you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money, and I made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money. And he said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to, uh, to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops where you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king retorted. Your own words condemn you. You knew that I am a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvest crops that I didn't plant. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use it well, that have been given, that they have been given, they will be given more. But from those who will do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. As for the, those enemies of mine who did not want me to be their king, bring them here and execute them in front of me. I want to talk to you firstly about this nobleman who is going to be king. Jesus, of course, is putting the picture here of the church and himself. He has come as a nobleman. He didn't come as the king. Jesus came as a servant. He did not come as the king, but he came to serve and give his life ransom for many, as he tells in so many different places. But he's going away, he's coming back, and when he comes back, he's coming back as the king. He came the first time as the lamb, he's coming back the second time as the lion. He brings this out, and so in the mentality, and we even see this in Acts chapter 1, when he's about to be assumed into heaven, 40 days he's been resurrected, the apostles are asking him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel? Now, are you kicking out the Romans? They're all into the politics of the matter, and Jesus is more into the souls of the matter. It says in verse 13 of our text, before he left, he called 10 of his servants together and he divided 10 pounds of silver saying, invest this for me while I am gone. He's saying you have a responsibility while I am away to do something with what I have given you. 
It varies on what you will find that this meant. Some say it was silver. Other commentators say it might have been gold. Uh, If it was silver, it was probably worth somewhere in the neighborhood of about $13,000. Others say if it was gold, it could have been worth millions. Uh, And uh, the whole 10 pounds of silver would have been worth over a million dollars in today's money. So he's giving these servants responsibility. And the point being isn't necessarily exactly what the amount is. It's the thought that God has given you and I something that we are to invest. That we are not to just sit upon, but we are to bring to others. 2 Corinthians one twenty one, and he has identified us by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything that he has promised us. God has given large deposits into your life. First, he saved you. If you are saved, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, that was a mighty price he paid for you and I. And then he gives that to us for free. You don't earn it. You don't be good enough. You're not going to be smart enough. You're not going to be good looking enough. You're not going to be able to give enough. You're not going to be able to do anything to earn it. He gave it to you. There are blessings he gives us. This could be favor. This could be a position. He offers that to us. But then he leaves it to you and I to see what will you do with it. And each one of us is under, if you will, the understanding that God is going to have an account of how we spent that or invested that which he gave to us. It's inescapable in the word of God. Romans 12, 6 through 8, in His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If you're an encourager, uh, be an encouraging soul. If If giving... If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility serious and show, uh, and if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. It says each one, he's depositing something. He's depositing, and if you'll understand these gifts that I just read, they're not inclusive. Like you don't just get one. Often you can have many of them. And he's looking for us to invest, or as the King, New King James says, do business. This word simply means not just a process, but to improve, to employ, to bring increase, or to make profit. The thought here in our text is the direction of money to gain more money. 
It is his, before he returns. So Jesus commanded his disciples to improve their talents and make the most of them, increase their capability of doing good until he comes to call us either by death or to meet him. So God deposits in us. He puts talents and abilities and, and invested in our lives often when we weren't even worthy of being invested in. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In our text, he makes the, he makes the statement, invest it. Right now we're in interesting times if you're watching the stock market. I have a small IRA that I've watched go up and down and down and up a little and down and up, you know. And it's just watching the turbulence of it right now, of investing. Now, the general rule is sit out and wait it out, don't freak out, and you'll do well. That's the general rule. The other rule is if it crashes, everything's crashing, doesn't really matter how much money you have. But what's been given to the church and placed in our hands by God? And there's always an opportunity to invest it for the king. Jesus said the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field. The other interesting thing that we're told in this parable is that there is a time limit that we don't have forever. Because I was just on Cape Cod, so I'll say it forever. We don't have forever. We don't have the ability to wait and say, well, I can do this or play this game or do this or I can do it later or however you want to say it. There's a time. There's only an opportunity. You know, one thing that has really struck me since we're hitting all these anniversaries is we're getting older. In the pictures that they have for the 40th anniversary, they have one of, of, my, of me and Carrie. And in that picture, I, I can actually tell you when it was because of the flowers on the table that I had given her for our, our one-year dating anniversary. And so I know this was of December of 1986. And the scary thing is she looks almost exactly like that picture, and I don't. Black curly hair and all, and you know, and but what's amazing is just how much time has gone on. But we're only given a space of time. When I got saved, Ronald Reagan was in office, and everybody was convinced this is it the, the Soviets are going to nuke us, and we're going to nuke them back, and, and Armageddon's going to happen, and all that. I didn't understand prophecy or be able to put things in, I just knew it was just it was. Scary. I had a friend, they were doing some exercises over on the uh, Otis Air Force Base, which is on Cape Cod, and he heard the compression that poof. He literally closed his eyes 
counted to ten to wait for the nuclear blast. That's what we believed then. That was the tensions in the air and, and all sorts of different things were going on. But now we've passed and, you know, 30, 40 years has gone by. And yet we're closer to Jesus' return. The opportunity to invest is getting late. Think about this, because the king comes back and he tests. Your life, my life, everyone's life, will be held to tests. He tests their faithfulness. What did you do with what I gave you? He brings them back. What did you do? Were you faithful to to say yes, we did, and they get a reward? And we'll talk about that in a minute. One says, no, I didn't. He says, you didn't even put it in the bank for interest. He was obviously very nonchalant towards it. To him, it was not a big deal. And we know that everything we do isn't going to succeed. There's going to be failures in life. I don't know if you know this, but you're going to have failures in life. Not every investment pays off. Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the United States, he has invested, 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 and he invested in one company which turned out to be a horrible ripoff called Theranos, but he invested in it. He put tens of tens of thousands of dollars in it, and at the end he said, I'll sell it all back to you for one dollar because it, it ain't going anywhere for him. Smart man because that ended up being a total scam. But not all investments will be successful. But that's not what God is looking for. He's looking for whether you will try. Ecclesiastics says, scatter your seed. Because you don't know if this will work or that will work, or if they'll both work. You're not guaranteed success in everything we do in life. Proverbs 17.3 Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. He tests hearts. Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter two, verse four, he says, "For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our, our purpose is to please God, not people." He alone examines the motives of the heart. God's called us to be faithful. He's called us to do certain tasks, and that's not going to be the same for everyone, whether you get the applause or not. Whether people say, oh, good job, or not. God doesn't look, doesn't, it doesn't feel like not every, he's always looking over your shoulder to see what you're doing, but long-term faithfulness is going to be seen. 
or not. Long term, as Jesus tarries. Now, I believe he could come tonight. I hope he does. But the reality is that God's looking for faithfulness. God's looking at your fruitfulness. He's measuring them. What did you do with what I gave you? First one comes back and says, I made ten times. Says, well done. Second one says, I made five times. Third one says, here's your money back. Which for some of us we think is an accomplishment. John 15, 1 and 2, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes back the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You know, it's alarming when someone's life has no increase and it doesn't bother them. That's alarming. That's scary alarming. When you can look and function and say, I'm doing something for God, and there's nothing. And again, not everything we do is going to be the Midas touch. But the reality of increase Are you trying to be fruitful? When's the last time you personally witnessed to someone? Personally. Tried to talk to somebody about Jesus. Personally. Don't hide behind the church or we do outreaches. Personally. People everywhere. The last young girl that my wife and I tried to witness to, unfortunately, was safe. See, God will test your willingness. You notice he doesn't really give them a, a chance here. It's like, okay, who wants a talent of silver? Raise your hand. Is you going to invest it for me? He doesn't do that. He lines them up. He says, here, 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 here. He doesn't ask them. He just does it. Pastor Lamb mentioned in one of the conference sermons that's the problem with a lot of people is they really want a Savior. They don't want a Lord. Because a Lord can tell you what you can do and you can't. Let's talk about the king's reward. Yes, we are not saved at all because of what we've done. But in heaven we will be rewarded on what we've done. And that's why in heaven it's going to be very interesting, the rewards. Because people will say, oh, well, you know, they've, they've been a missionary or they've done this or they've done, they must have a great reward. Well, if that's what God called them to do, yes. But if God only called you to support and pray, then you get the reward too. The righteous man 
who you give a drink to, a cup of water to, in the name of a righteous man, you get a righteous man's reward. The support, the giving, the laboring, whatever it might be. So it's not just those who necessarily do great things. The question is now, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? In the, para, in the parallel parable, say that ten times fast, I dare you. In Matthew 25, he gives five to one, two to another, one to another, according to their ability. God measures not what you did or didn't do for him. He measures it based on what he gave you. That's the reward. Well done, the king explains. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted you, so you'll be governor over ten cities as your reward. Revelation 22.12, Look, I am coming to bring my reward with me and will repay all people according to their deeds. Again, we are not saved because of our deeds, but we are rewarded because of our deeds. Think about the man who had a wrong view of the king. It wasn't that he had a wrong view of the money. He obviously felt responsible enough to hide it, put it away, and not spend it. This would have been, in this day, uh, a pound of silver might have been a lifetime's wage. So to, you know, factor that in, if you just factor, you know, $35,000, say, times, you know, 25, 30 years of working, whatever, 40 years of working. That's a lot of money. This would have been more than that. So in their culture and society, this would have been a lot of money. The fact that he put it away and didn't spend any of it is pretty amazing. But his issue wasn't the wrong view of the silver. It was the wrong view of the king. He says in our text, I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops where you didn't plant. If you see God as someone impossible to please, you'll give up. God's not impossible to please. He makes statements. Well done. You can tell he's pleased with the other. He's not impossible to please. Yet some people, they serve God. They fear Him. They won't do anything because they're afraid. Well, what if, what if I mess up? Wrong view of God will stop people. Why be faithful to a God that you don't know if you can please? This is the problem with carryover religion. In almost every religion, God's angry ticked off, you're just best to kind of not call his attention. That's true in Islam. It's true in Catholicism. 
That's why you go through Mary or through one of the other saints because you know what? They'll appease him a little bit. They like him and you, you don't have to worry about whether he likes you or not or whether he's having a good day or not. You go through another saint. That's the mentality of religion. You just want to get by without ticking God off. That stopped this man. He had a wrong view of laboring for God. He thought, well, you know what? As long as I just give back to God what He gave to me, I guess we're doing okay. I don't need to take the responsibility. He had a wrong view of what was given to him. Salvation is precious. But God saved you with a purpose. Paul is told, for this purpose. God has a purpose for your life. This runs contrary to the mentalities of some as far as, you know, well, I'm just a mistake or I'm just an accident or whatever. No, 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 no. God has a purpose for your life. A distinct purpose. The question is, are you living? Now, what's very interesting is he takes that talent from that person and he gives it to the one who had ten. And the socialistic side of humanity goes, that's not fair! Because that's what his servant's done. God's not a socialist. He doesn't divide it fair. Life's not fair. That's not fair. You're right. It's not fair. I don't know when you thought life was going to be fair. I know there's the preamble to the Constitution, you know, that God has created us all with equal rights to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I get it. Yeah, but that, we, do, we are all equal in that. You have that opportunity. But just know that life, God doesn't treat, it's not all fair. He's no, he doesn't favor one to ignore their sin ignore their disobedience and say oh they have a reason why they're being stupid so I won't look over there and this person well they, you know, they don't really have a reason why they did that and so I'll just judge them he doesn't do that that's where he has no partiality but when it comes to laboring he does this is why some people are blessed God says, you know what? I can bless that person. They're doing what they need to do. I'm going to make sure that they're blessed the way they need to be blessed. That's the God of the Bible. He didn't bless the pagan nations because of their idolatry and their immorality. And when Israel got involved in that, they lost the blessing of God. But what this does tell us is this man loses out. But he's not killed with those who rejected him as king. 
Rasmus. He says there were some who didn't want him to be king. He said, now that I'm king, bring them here, slaughter them in front. But this man who didn't invest the... No, he was saved. He did not die in that. God doesn't kill him as those who rejected the king. But he doesn't have anything. He's left without anything. There are some people you will get to heaven will have a huge mansion built for them. Streets of gold right downtown. Prime location. There's others who are going to get a shack on the outside of Jerusalem. And, you know, did the best with the materials you sent. Some people say, well, I'll be happy with that. I doubt it. I do. I just doubt it. Human nature. We see somebody, you know, just go in the nursery. Give one of the kids a new toy and watch the rest of them. It's in us, man. It is in us. And yet Jesus says, you can have this opportunity. I close with this. This is a commentary. By William Barclay, he wrote these words, There is no such thing as standing still in the Christian life. We either get more or lose what we have. We either advance to greater heights or slip back. What would the king say to you if he came back tonight? Every head bowed, every eye closed. What would he say to you if he came back tonight? The opportunities that God has given us, the investment he has put into our lives. But maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus. You don't know the Lord, the Savior. You've never been born again. You're away from God. There's an opportunity for you to get your heart right. The gifting, the investment that he wants to put into your life. The favor he wants to do for you. If you're here and you're not right with God, you're not saved, you're not born again, or you're backslidden away from God, let God help you by simply slipping up your hand and saying, you know what, that's me, Pastor. Would you pray for me? I need God to help me. Very quickly, slip up your hand. Pray for me. Anyone at all. Maybe you're backslidden away from God. Want to come back to Jesus? Slip up your hand very quickly. Changing the call then to Christians. We, we are loved by God, saved, and He has invested into us. He has given us things. Sometimes things that I think we're not really worthy of. But He's given them to us anyway. And then He asks you, will you invest, will you increase it? Will you bring more in than I've given you? Or will you simply sit on it and say, well, that's enough. I'm good. Because God does require, you don't, you are saved. The issue isn't heaven and hell here. The issue is eternal rewards. The issue is your eternal blessing. This life is not all there is to it. 
There's far more to come. This life in eternity is going to be a blip on the radar. But what God has for us in the future is determined by much of what we do here. We have to occupy, we have to do business, we have to invest that which has already been given into our lives. Let's all stand. We're going to open up these altars. We're going to sing that song, glorify, give Him praise, worship Him this evening. messages that was overwhelming through the conference is we're running out of time. We really are. We are running out of time. Prophecies right now in line. There's nothing. All the technologies that we had no idea how they would do the mark or we had no idea how the, the elements would melt with a fervent heat and everything would be destroyed. We all know that now. Those are all done. We, we, there's no, like, I wonder how that prophecy will have, it's already there. The technologies, the, you know, the, the whole Bitcoin thing is, it's all part of an experiment, folks. I don't know if you understand this, that 
in that, yes, people are making money, and if you're investing in that, and I hope you do well in that, and all that kind of stuff, but the reality is that chain technology is what we're going to see used in the market. Actually, I'm not going to see it because I'm going to go to heaven in the rapture, but that's what the planet's going to see. It's all there right now, all of those kind of things, and you can look it up. They're ready for the one world government. They're ready for all sorts of things. And as we're, Russia's aggressive, Russia's a crazy bear right now, they're going to attack and devour and go after Israel and all of that. It's all there. Iran has developed nuclear weapons. It's all happening. They're already moving into Africa. And Iranian and Hezbollah influences are all now going through that horn of Africa to bring that alliance in of Ezekiel 38-39. It's all happening right now. We don't have much time. Overwhelming message throughout the conference. What are you doing with what you have right now? That's the overwhelming reality that we have to face. Jesus is coming and he's coming soon. Very, very soon. We have to do all that we can do before he comes. Amen. Good things are ahead. You remember the meeting Tuesday night with the, um, for those interested in the play? Any questions you can see, Logan, about that, uh, as well as Wednesday, we'll be back for our midweek service. And uh, Saturday, the outreach to Greece. Amen. Let's bow our heads, our hearts. Let's go in the love of God. I'm going to ask Yanni if you'd close us in prayer.